Welcome to worship. We're so glad that you've chosen to be here with us today. My name is Sheila and I'll be your host for this online worship experience. If this is your first time worshiping with us, we want to give you a very special welcome. If you'll check in with us and give us your email address, we have a special gift to send to you this coming week. Thank you so much for being here today. This is week four of our sermon series, The Fruit of the Spirit. Pastor Spencer has a great message just ahead for us. And speaking of the sermon, you'll find sermon discussion questions and more online at schweitzer.church next. And now, here's Stephanie with our announcements. Hi, I'm Stephanie. Welcome to Schweitzer. Schweitzer is an active place with many great ways for you to get connected, grow in your faith, or serve our community. Here are a few things coming up soon. This Friday, October 6th, our Schweitzer Kids team is putting on a fun church and community event called Putt-Putt and Pumpkins. We'll play mini golf and have a trunk or treat. We hope you'll invite your friends and come out for this fantastic evening happening in and around the gym. You can find out more at schweitzer.church kids. Here at Schweitzer, we are building a community of creatives, especially writers. This Saturday, October 7th at 10 a.m. is our next Writers' Roundtable, this time focused on songwriting and poetry. If you are a writer or an aspiring one, or you have a friend who is a writer, we invite you to join us for this inspiring event. In two weeks, we have a packed weekend, and we want you to have these dates marked on your calendar. First is our guys' breakfast happening at 8 a.m. on Saturday, October 14th, and a special women's event that same day from 9 a.m. to 2 p.m. You can learn more about either of these events in the Fellowship Center today or online at schweitzer.church. Then on Sunday, October 15th, we will have a special dessert at 3 p.m. that is a part of the Schweitzer Foundation launch. If you want to know more about the new Schweitzer Foundation, we invite you to join us in the Student Center. That same day at 6 p.m., our modern worship team will lead us in a special night of worship. We know this will be an encouragement as we spend time in praise and prayer. And one last reminder, if you're still looking for a small group or class, we have a variety of options all through the week. And on Wednesday nights in particular, we have groups for students, kids, and adults. To make things a little easier on Wednesday nights, we also have our fantastic chicken sandwich meal. Be sure and sign up for yours online at schweitzer.church Wednesdays or at the Blue Booth today. We are so happy you've joined us this morning. Let's continue with worship. Thanks, Stephanie, for those great announcements. I want to remind you that you're welcome to join us for any or all of these wonderful things that are happening right now at Schweitzer Church. You can find more information online at schweitzer.church next. If you're worshiping with us live today, we invite you to join in the chat. Say hello to your friends or give us your insights. And if you find yourself in need of prayer, we have someone waiting for you right now in the prayer room. Just press that button and we'll be right with you. And now, let's continue in worship.
can I say thanks for the things you have done for me? Things so undeserved, yet you give to prove your love for me. The voices of a million angels could not express my gratitude. That I am and ever hope to be. I owe it all to thee, to God be the glory, to God be the glory. As we come to this time of prayer, I invite you to join me as we go to our Heavenly Father. Let's pray together. Holy God, what an honor it is to worship you and to praise you today. We thank you so much for the joys and the blessings of each day. And Lord, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we wanna lay all of our burdens and concerns and worries at your feet. We know that we expect answers immediately, and God, we know that it's your timing and not ours. We are so impatient sometimes, but we don't see the big picture like you do. So God, we're gonna ask your divine intervention in each of our lives that we may be open to your leading and not to our will being done. Lord, as we pray today, we wanna pray for those who are ill and hurting, we want to pray for those who are in great need and who don't seem to see the light at the end of the tunnel. Lord, we know you're with us every step of the way. And so we want to let go of these worries and concerns. Again, God, we know that it's your timing, your will be done.
And Lord, as we continue to pray, we want to pray that prayer that Jesus gave to us, saying together, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. As we come to this time of offering, it's my joy to share with you what God is doing in and through Schweitzer Church. In particular, what he's doing in and through our ministry team. I'd like to invite Levi Zen, our student ministries director, to join me here today. Levi is becoming a candidate as a pastor in our congregation, and we have a few questions to ask him today. Levi, do you acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and do you offer yourself in service to him as a ministerial candidate of Schweitzer Church? Recognizing that being a ministerial candidate is an important step in confirming the call of God on your life, do you pledge diligently to seek the Lord's will for your life through prayer, study, and the practice of ministry? I do. Will you seek and accept the guidance of wise elders in order to fulfill these goals? I will. Let's pray together. Kind Father, we thank you for Levi, whom we set aside in your name as a ministerial candidate. Prepare him in body, mind, and spirit for his task and continue him in your grace, that he may increase and bless your church through his labors. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, with the Holy Spirit. Amen. We are so excited about what God is doing in Levi's life and in the life of Schweitzer Church. It's because of your kindness and generosity that ministries are happening here. And I want to thank you for what you're doing. I want to remind you that you can give online at schweitzer.church give. And once again, thank you for supporting the ministries that God ordains through this great church. And now, here's Pastor Spencer with week four of our sermon series, The Fruit of the Spirit. Well, welcome. I'm so glad that you're here today. Today is part four of our series called The Fruit of the Spirit as we're exploring a very, very famous passage, Galatians 5, 22 and 23. It goes like this, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The plan for the series is really simple. Each week, we're just taking one of these words and we are diving deep. And so this week, uh, part four, we're gonna look at the fourth word here, which is that word forbearance. Now that's how the NIV translates this, which is what we normally read from on Sundays, the, the NIV, but um, other 
ideas out there. Some uh, traditional translation of this is the King James says long suffering, which is a great word, great word picture there of, of suffering alongside people for a long time. And so the traditional translation, there's long suffering. The message translates this as a willingness to stick with things. And this is what the fruit of the spirit is, a willingness to stick with things. You might even add people, a willingness to stick with people. Um, but I'm, I learned this uh, one as, as patience. And so that's what I'm going to say today is patience because I never use the word forbearance or long suffering, but I do use the word patience. And so today we're going to talk about how the fruit of the spirit is patience. To say that differently, the natural outgrowth of someone who walks in the spirit and lives in Christ is patience. And this is because this is what God is like. God's character is patient. God's heart is patient. God is, his, his nature is patient. His attributes, as you think about what God is like, patience should be one of the words that comes to mind. And we see this, of course, all over the Bible. I think about this great example from Exodus 34, which is this hugely significant moment in the Bible where Moses is leading the people of Israel and he's burnt out. He's just giving up as a leader. He's at the end of his rope and he's done. And so the Lord shows up in him, to him in his, in his burnout and, and the Lord reveals the glory of God. It's this hugely, hugely significant moment in the Bible. And while the Lord shows Moses the glory of God, the Lord describes himself to Moses and this long description. And part of it goes like this. This is Hebrew or Exodus 34, verse six. It says, the Lord, the Lord, or Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And just listen to that phrase, slow to anger. This is what God is like. That's a, that's a phrase that is peppered throughout the Old Testament as a description of God, that God is slow to anger. He is not quick to judge. He is not quick to condemn. He is patient, even on our rebellion and our sinfulness in our hearts. He is still slow to anger, which is why in the New Testament, we read a lot of verses about how God's patience is what is what brings our salvation. And so Second Peter says it like this, chapter three, verse nine, that the Lord is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Or Paul in 1 Timothy, describing himself and the patience that the Lord has had for himself. He says this in 1 Timothy 1, verse 16. But for that reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. This is who God is. This is what God is like. This is his character, his heart, his will, his nature. This is how God has dealt with us. This is how God has dealt with you. God is patient. Therefore, as you walk in Christ, as you grow in him, as you learn to trust him, as you lay down your life and you take up your cross and deny yourself, as, you, as you're crucified in Christ and you rise with him, as you practice and live the way of discipleship, the natural outgrowth of that is a life of patience, a heart of patience. The fruit of the Spirit is that patience will grow within you. Now, as I've been thinking about the fruit of the Spirit this fourth week of this series, I, you know, I've noticed how the fruit of the Spirit is such a, all of these, these different attributes are such a desirable thing. I mean, who doesn't want to be more loving or kind or patient or, or joyful or peaceful or whatever it is, the fruit of the Spirit you lift up? Like, who doesn't 
want to live like this? And who, who doesn't want to be, be more patient, for instance? And yet, as I think about how desirable these things are to live into, at the same time, I, I can't help but notice just how countercultural these things are as well. And patience, oh my goodness, patience is, is right up there as just a countercultural way to live. I mean, to live a life of patience, this natural outgrowth of a disciple of Jesus, is certainly to swim upstream from all of the cultural forces and influences that we live in, because patience is not a virtue in modern life. In the last week, I've been reading um, Walter Isaacson's brand new biography on Elon Musk. Isaacson is one of my favorite writers. Uh, and what I love about him is he writes biographies. I love to read biographies. And what I love about his style of writing is that he always takes an angle of looking at innovators. And so he's written books about Da Vinci and uh, Ben Franklin and uh, Einstein and Steve Jobs, or the famous book on Steve Jobs. These people who just really changed the world. And, and so this new one, Elon Musk, just came out. It's, it's, so, it's so interesting. This, and I'm reading through the story, and I haven't finished it yet, so don't tell me how it ends if you've read it. But as I'm reading through this biography on Elon Musk, I'm just struck by how impatient he is, which of course is how he's accomplished so much from PayPal to SpaceX to Tesla. There's all this accomplishment that he's done, becoming the world's richest person, all of those kinds of things. But his his impatience is what drives him to set just these incredible um, goals and ambitions that he has. And he pushes his teams to, to, to this to the breaking point to, to live and to accomplish all of these kinds of things. And so as you think about his, his leadership and we think about how he's an incredible leader because he's accomplished so many things, we describe him with words like driven and ambitious and effective and efficient and decisive. And he's got this like sense of urgency and passion, which are a lot of words that we use nowadays to lift up to describe great leaders. Now, at the same time, the thing that we don't talk about, the other side of this, is that leaders like Elon Musk or Steve Jobs or other people like that, who live with this sense of urgency and passion, they often leave in their wake a long line of broken relationships. Because there's a cost. There's a cost that comes with living this impatience that that thrives in, in our world today. There's a cost. And it's not something we think about too often is the cost of living in this fast, you know, living with urgency, seeking instant gratification in our lives. It's like, a, it's not a cost that we think about too often. Like what's the, what's the cost of, of living like this? And certainly it's not something that we usually stop and think, I wonder what living for instant gratification has done to my heart. Like we know what it's done to our brains. We, we know how our brains have been rewired and there's new neural um, uh, experiences that we're having because of the, the addiction that's been formed to the devices we carry in our pockets that are all about instant gratification. I mean, there's studies and studies and articles and articles and articles that are just wide ranging that are out there about the dopamine that we receive in our brains is a pleasurable hormone to every time we scroll and every time we order on Amazon and every time our, our, we get this instant notification that comes to us that we're actually forming an addiction within our bodies to um, instant gratification. Like this is the way of, of life in, in, in modern uh, life that, that we receive this. But, but there's also downsides that have come to this instant gratification. We know now that um, as you live with instant gratification, you're 
um, an addiction to dopamine, you're less likely to be able to focus deeply. You're less likely to build meaningful relationships and engage with people. You're, you're less likely and less able to deal with stress and the hormone of stress, cortisol. And, and, and so our culture has been driven off of this instant gratification as we've become addicted to it. And, um, it's had this major impact on our brains, but as Christians, we need to take that one step further and ask, well, what do you think the impact of that is on our heart? What is the impact of that on, on our souls? Not just our physiology of our brains, but what, what has happened to our ability to, to find meaning and purpose and especially connection with God within this culture that lifts up impatience and instant gratification as the way to live. What is the impact then that happens to our hearts? Because God is a God of patience, not instant gratification. He's, he's, a, he's a God that is not rushed. He doesn't conform to my calendar and my timetables. And, and the work of God in our hearts and our souls is a slow work of grace, not a fast work. The great Eugene Peterson described the Christian life as a long obedience in the same direction. And I think about just the great men and women of the Bible and how, how much of their life was spent waiting on God to move, waiting for God to work. I mean, Abraham, he waited for 25 years from the promise that he would be the father of many nations to the birth of Isaac. I think about Joseph who waited for 15 years in slavery and in prison until he's elevated uh, to a place of prominence. Think about David who waited 15, 20 years or so from uh, the time of discovery of who he is, the call of God to, to be the king until he's elevated uh, to be the king of Israel. There's just waiting over and over in the Bible. And that's not even to mention the waiting that happened with the people of Israel for 400 years as they waited in slavery. Or the people of Israel as they waited in exile for 70 years. Or the people of Israel for, who waited for another 400 years from the last words of Malachi to the birth of the Messiah as the hope of the world. Like there is just this, this waiting that takes place in the, in the, in the Bible. This is what we see over and over again that this is the, the way of the faithful life. And yet we get upset if our Amazon package is one day late. So what does this culture of instant gratification and this virtue of impatience, what has this done to our hearts? That's a real question that, that, that Christians need to wrestle with because the truth is patience and endurance and perseverance and waiting and long-suffering and forbearance, this is just what the faithful life is like. And this is what it takes. Let me give you an example of this. And let's go to James chapter five. If you've, if you've never read through um, the book of James, you should. It's an absolutely incredible book. Uh, James was written by Jesus's brother. So just think about this. Like not, not like his brother isn't a friend, but like his actual brother, like the son of Mary, which has always been a really interesting idea to me that um, Jesus's own brother wrote a book of the Bible about how Jesus is the Messiah. And that's so interesting to me because I have an older brother and I can't help but wonder, what would it take for me to believe that he is the Messiah? Well, 
for me, this is one of the proofs that Jesus, who he says he is, because his own brother is writing um, about who, who Jesus is and how he believes his brother is the Messiah. So when you read through James, it's a very practical book, uh, really, really great book. And the great line from James, the thesis of the book is that faith without works is dead. So you got to put this in practice and live with this. And so towards the end of, of James, James chapter five, we uh, read this really helpful teaching about how patience is just crucial to the life of a Christian. So here's what James teaches. Just going to be a handful of verses here, starting in verse 7. James writes this. He says, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. One more time. Be patient, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. I just want you to notice that there is a straight line that's being drawn here from patience to the return of Jesus. It's a straight line. Be patient until the Lord's coming. And this is so, so, so crucial. And, and, and why it is that we need to pay attention to our hearts and how this fast-paced world is impacting our hearts. Because you see, our hope is not in this life. Our hope is not in this life. Yes, we pray for God to move. Yes, we want to see God move in miracles. Yes, we want God's will to be done. Absolutely. We want to impact the world for Jesus. There's no question about it. However, we also know that we live in a fallen world and, and we know that we will never see God's will and rule fully realized until Jesus returns. So this means that as we think about what it means to have patience and to live into this virtue, this fruit of the Spirit. It's not just patience for today. It's patience for the end. It's patience until the end. It's patience because we understand that God's plan is not fully realized until the end. The Bible scholar um, Jay Horst, he says it like this. I think this is quite wise, kind of dense, but quite wise. He says, um, God's patience does not overlook anything. That right there is just a great sentence. God's patience does not overlook anything. So it may feel at times like God is absent. It may feel at times like your prayers aren't being answered, like God's not doing anything. But we have to realize uh, that the Lord works on his own timetable. And the Lord's timetable is not my calendar. It may not even be my lifetime. But it, but that doesn't mean that the Lord isn't working because he has the big picture in mind. And so he goes on, Horst goes on, he says, so God's patience does not overlook anything. It simply sees further than man. Yeah, because it sees everything. And then he writes this, it has the end in view. It has the true insight, which knows best. Ah, there's so much wisdom to that. The Lord's time timetable, it's the end. It's not today. This is what the Lord is shooting for in our lives and the people around us. And I, and I lift this up uh, because for many of us, the return of Jesus is like one of those doctrines we kind of file away in the back of our minds. It's not something we really think about very often. It's probably something like you maybe believe, but it's kind of, you know, in the back shelf. It's not something that you bring to the front very often. But I, but I just can't help but wonder, like, Okay, so Christian teaching has always taught to anticipate the return of Jesus any day. So like, what, what would change if the return of Jesus was not like a back of the mind idea, but a front of the mind expectation? Like what changes in our lives as we wait, as we seek after the Lord, when we begin to anticipate, not as something we like think about, very rarely, but something that is actually on the, on the front of our mind that, that there will be a day when the Lord returns. And I just can't help but think how many things in our life get reframed 
when the return of Jesus is a front-of-mind expectation. Paul writes about it like this in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. He says, he says, Therefore, because the return of Jesus, we do not lose heart. So what difference does it make when the return of Jesus is a front-of-mind expectation? Well, we do not lose heart. Even as we wait and wait and wait and wait, we do not lose heart. He goes on, he says, though outwardly we are wasting away, right? There's suffering and trouble and problems and discord and conflict and worries and stress and grief. And we're just waiting and waiting and waiting. And yet we're not wasting away because inwardly our souls, our hearts, we are being renewed day by day. There's a hope that is living within me. Verse 17, for our light and momentary troubles, are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Now, there's some perspective for you right there. Oh, my goodness. Like, what changes when the return of Jesus is front of mind expectation? Well, everything changes because in light of eternity, the hope of Jesus' victorious return, um, how do you make sense of your suffering, your troubles, your problems, your grief, your discord, your conflicts, your worries and stress? Well, you put those things in context of eternity, they're not so big. They're not as big as we think they are. Verse 18, so we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, hold that in mind that we are going to focus our minds on what is unseen. And this is going to go back to James, because listen to what James says next. He says, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. And then he says, see how the farmer waits for the land to yield his valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. So the farmer plants the seed and then he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits and he waits with nothing happening. And there is something happening like below the surface, below the soil, the seed is starting to sprout roots, but it'll take weeks and weeks and weeks until the first shoots start to appear out of the ground. And, and that's the, the, and in this meantime, there's this trust that the far, that the farmer has to have to, to know that the seed is growing even when he can't see it. Because what the impatient farmer is going to do is he's going to plant his field, he's going to till the soil, put the seed in. But if he doesn't see it growing, he's going to come out the next day and start digging it all up, wondering what's what's going on here. Because the, the impatience, it works off this assumption that if I can't see it, nothing is actually happening. That's how impatience works. And this is a key, 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 key part about what it means to have patience and to live into this virtue. Because if you're going to develop this fruit of the spirit of patience, one of the things that has to happen, has to happen, is that you have to learn to practice surrender. You, you have to learn to give up control. You have to release the outcome of whatever it is that you're worried about, stressed about, in conflict about, whatever it is that's, that's on your mind, whatever the trouble is, you have to release this. You have to learn to give up control, to, to surrender the outcome. And this practice flies right in the face of our quick fix, instant gratification culture. Because when we expect our problems, what we expect to happen is we expect our problems to be solved like that, just like a snap. And, and when they're not, we very quickly lose hope. So the marriage gets rocky and we get cynical. We have a falling out with a friend, so we give up on them. We get a diagnosis and we just freak out. We hit a financial rough spot and we just get so stressed. And we start to lose sleep. Work gets hard and we get stretched thin. And we just become irritable and we lose our temper with the people around us. 
All of these things are ways that impatience is showing up in our life. And you have to understand that when you start to see these kinds of things surfacing within you, um, you need to pay attention to your heart in those seasons because these are signs of a much, much deeper thing in your heart. It's a sign of a lack of faith. You see, impatience is not just a character flaw. Impatience is a, is a lack of faith. It's a, it's a lack of faith that, that the Lord is going to do what he says he's going to do. It's a lack of faith that the Lord is faithful. It's a lack of faith that he is good. And so, and so patience, therefore, is understanding that I'm going to take my life and I'm going to put it in God's hands. And so therefore, patience is not just sitting back and like waiting and just, you know, being inactive. That's what we call giving up and just resigning, which is what a lot of people do when they're faced with, with problems is they just give up as an act of despair. But patience is what happens in the, in the face of suffering, grief, pain, anger, trouble, conflict, discord. And instead of giving up and resigning and just like washing our hands of it and saying, ah, this is how it is. Patience is the, is the act of faith of actively surrendering control of, of actively putting this in God's hands and understanding with an active plan that this is God's to deal with and not mine. That this is on his shoulders and not mine. It's on his timetable and not my timetable. And, and, and it's understanding that he is doing more than I can see, more than I can comprehend. Just like the farmer is waiting for the seeds to grow. This is what I'm, what I'm expecting is that there's more happening than I can understand or that I can see with my eyes or that I can comprehend because the Lord is at work. So come back to James, verse eight. James says, you too be patient, just like the farmer and stand firm. Because again, patience is a, is an active part of what it means to have faith. So don't give up. Don't, don't resign yourself to despair. Why? Because the Lord's coming is near. Second time we've read this. So we anticipate this any day. We know that the, the, the Lord is coming and he's, he's playing a bigger plan for, for you and I that we can understand. And, and so we expect this. We wait for this. Verse nine, don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you'll be judged. The judge is standing at the door, which is another reference to the return of Christ. That's three now. Of course, a lack of patience will often show up in our words, our, our grumbling and our temper and, and how we express our frustrations. That's usually a sign of a lack of patience and impatience there. So pay attention to your heart, pay attention to your words. Verse 10, brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And the prophets are those who saw the promise of what God was doing. They saw the promise of the Messiah, but they never actually saw it. They saw it in a distance. They saw the expectation that God was going to come in the flesh, like Isaiah talks about in so many different places. And, but they never actually saw it with their own eyes. They just, they just waited. And some of them suffered along the long while they waited, even some to the point of death. And so think about these prophets who waited and waited and even in the face of suffering. In verse 11, as you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. You remember Job? Job suffered incredibly and tremendously. He lost his family. He lost all he had. And his only option then was to wait on the Lord for the Lord to provide, which is why this great line from Job, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. And then finally, James wraps all this up with a great line. He just says this, the Lord is full of compassion and mercy. It's a great concluding thought in this short teaching about patience. Because as we wait, 
as we persevere, as we endure, as we stick with it, as we practice a long obedience in the same direction, we remember the character of God. His compassion, His mercy, His love, His grace, His faithfulness that He's shown to us. And so even when you're in a season of waiting, a season when things are tough, a season with conflict, a season of grief or loss, a season of of discord, a season of uh, praying and praying and praying, maybe for someone in your life that you love, for God to grab their hearts, and you're just praying and praying and praying. When you're in a season of waiting, we wait with this expectation of the Lord's character, that He's compassionate and merciful, He's faithful. And of course, we never have to doubt His faithfulness because He's already proved it to us, that He gave His own Son as a gift for us. And so we wait. We persevere, we endure, because we know his plan will eventually come to fruition. It's the plan of his son, establishing a new heaven and a new earth. And so we wait. Paul says that the fruit of the Spirit is patience. It's long-suffering. It's forbearance. It's sticking to it. It's enduring. It's persevering. It's holding on until the end and not giving up. And so as we grow in him, as we learn to trust him, as we learn to follow him and have fellowship with him, as we lay down our lives and take up our cross, as we deny ourselves, as we learn to see the world, to see ourselves, to see our neighbors as God does, as we learn to live differently, don't be surprised when you find patience growing in your life. Don't be surprised that as you grow in Christ, you find yourself more willing to surrender to control, to give up the outcome, to let go of of what you want to happen, to place your life, your heart, your future, your hopes, your ambitions, your career, your relationships, to place that in God's hands and to say, thy will be done. Don't be surprised when you find yourself more and more just experiencing peace in the waiting. And don't be surprised that even though you can't see how God is moving and you don't see it today, you find yourself trusting that He is doing more than I can see or understand because He is faithful. And don't be surprised as you suffer and face troubles and trials and grief and loss, if you don't start to think more in terms of eternity than today. Because the fruit of the Spirit that we call patience, this is how it shows up. This is the natural outgrowth of someone who walks with Christ and lives in the Holy Spirit so that they begin to live in this patience. Let's pray together. And so, Father, today, um, I know that there are some of us here who are in seasons of waiting. There is suffering, there is trouble, there is questions, there are relationships that are askew, there is conflict, there is discord. There's all kinds of loss and grief and pain and sickness. And yet, Lord, we find ourselves wondering, when are you going to do something about this? When is the season going to end? How are we going to find hope? And so today we just, we want to refocus and reorient ourselves back to you and the plan that you have for us, which is not just about today, but it's for all of eternity. And so today, as we, as we think about some of the suffering that some of us are going through, we just We want to surrender this to you, to release this, to give up control, to wait on you, that you might be glorified in us. 
And so Father, today I, I pray for any, anyone who's with us, who's in this place, and may today be a day where we, where we surrender this control to you and we ask you to come and to move how you see fit. And may we be like the farmer who we're just waiting. We know that there's more happening than we can see or understand, but that you are good, that you love us, that you call us your children. And for anyone who's with us today who doesn't know the grace and the mercy of God for themselves, we just want to offer up a simple prayer. Lord Jesus, would you forgive me my sin? Would you lead my life? We thank you for your love and faithfulness, for your compassion and mercy today. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for being here with us today for worship. I want to thank our team who made this service possible. And a special thank you to Pastor Spencer for his meaningful message. If you know someone who would benefit from this message, we invite you to like it and share it on social media. Thank you so much for doing that. And now we invite you back next week for week five of our sermon series, The Fruit of the Spirit. We'll be talking about kindness and we look forward to seeing you next week with us. Have a great week.